1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20. Let's hear the word of the Lord. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord, and will also raise us by his power, uh, raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never! Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, please take your word as we have read it and as I preach it and apply it to our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Convict your people of sin. Turn us to faith in Christ. Nourish us by your word that we might be conformed into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. What it is you value, you take care of. What it is that is important to you, you treat with great respect and care. On the other hand, if you don't value something, if it is unimportant to you, you will be less likely to care for it. You will be less likely to treat it with respect. You may abuse a thing you think of as unimportant or leave it neglected. And so sometimes a person who rents a home doesn't take as good care of it. They don't have to. They might reason. They, they, uh, something breaks down, well, they don't have to fix it. They just call the landlord. They can fix it. They may not take care of the place as well as if it was their own. They have no ownership in it. It doesn't belong to him, whereas someone who owns their home wants to take good care of it, wants to treat it well because they want to preserve it and protect it for the long term. They, they care for it. They make the repairs that are needed. It depends on them and no one else to preserve it and protect it and care for it. So what you value, you take care of. What you have some ownership over, you treat with dignity and care. Well, in the case of the Corinthians, it seems that they thought of their bodies as unimportant, their physical bodies as unimportant. They did not value them. They didn't have ownership over their bodies. Really, it seems that they saw their bodies more, more like a shell in which their true self resided. And, and there are some people who think this way today. There was a video that's made its rounds on Facebook to, to that sort, where people are saying, I am not this. I am not this physical body. This is just my vehicle for my true self, my true inner self. Um, So it seems the Corinthians had this sort of view that their body was a a shell or a vehicle 
Rather, the essence of who they were was their spirit, was who they were inside. And if you read Corinthians, you see this led them to abuse, really, in some ways, or neglect their bodies. It caused them to treat their bodies in, the way, in a way contrary to its purposes. Think about deficient views of the body. If someone has a deficient and unbiblical view of the body, it usually results in one of two behaviors. One, it can result in harsh asceticism. So a deficient view of the body can result in harsh asceticism. That means, basically, I won't enjoy anything. They might view the body as bad, and so they'll say, to to enjoy any pleasure that God has given would be a bad thing because the flesh is bad, and therefore I don't want to indulge in that pleasure. It might cause them to abstain from any number of food and drinks. It might cause them to abstain from any pleasure, even if they are good gifts from the Lord. But another possible behavior resulting from a deficient view of the body is license. And that means the opposite. I will enjoy anything and everything I can get my hands on. I will indulge in anything, even if it's outside of the boundaries which God has uh, given us for the use of this good gift. And it's the second sense uh, in which the Corinthians seem to have failed. They had a deficient view of the body, and it was leading them to licentiousness, to indulge in every sort of pleasure that they could think of uh, because the, the body was unimportant. Therefore, it didn't matter what they do. They, they did. They, they could do anything that they wanted to. In other words, since they were no longer under law in Christ, but under grace, they saw that as a, as a license to do whatever pleased them, to fulfill their desires. We see this. We've seen this a few weeks ago in their toleration of the man who had an inappropriate relationship with his mother-in-law or his stepmother. He was involved in this uh, sexual sin and they tolerated it. They didn't have a problem with it. They allowed it to go on. It was causing them, their, their deficient view of the body was causing them to take their moral cues from the culture rather than from the scripture. They were becoming like their culture in many ways. And if your starting point for your morality is culture, rather than Christ and His Word, you'll end up calling good what is evil and evil what is good. And don't we see that in our day as well today? We see this. If we are to take our cues from our culture concerning morality, we will end up calling wicked things good things, acceptable things. Rather, we must take our moral cues from the Scripture so that we know what is pleasing to Him. So Paul admonishes the Corinthians and he corrects them that they might have a better understanding of the body. But notice this, it's not just that he wants their minds to change. He doesn't want them to just change their minds about the body and understand biblically what the body is. He wants to change their practices. So in order to change their practices, he realizes he's going to have to reach them through their minds, through their understanding of what the body is, and through their affections. So he wants to correct their understanding, but he wants to correct their understanding in order to change the way that they're living. It's his desire that having a biblical view of the body would result in living a life for the glory of God. 
So this morning, I want to give you three truths concerning the body, which have very practical consequences for how we live. Three, view, three truths concerning the body, and what those practical responses to these truths sh- should be. The first truth is this, the body is made by the Lord and for the Lord. The body is made by the Lord and for the Lord. Contrary to what seems to be the understanding of the Corinthians, our bodies are not made simply for pleasures. This seems to be what they were getting at. This seems to be their understanding. Our bodies are made simply for pleasure, and therefore we will indulge. The Corinthians are asking, uh, what is lawful? And to answer that, they're saying all things are lawful. You may not have noticed this, And it's difficult to see in New Testament letters what things are in quotation marks and what things are not. They didn't have those those symbols. So what appears to be happening here in verse 12 and in some other parts of this passage, Paul is quoting certain mottos or sayings of the Corinthians. And this is one of the sayings of the Corinthians. All things are lawful for me. So he's repeating this back to them and saying, okay, this is your quote. Now let me correct it here. They're asking, what is lawful for me? And they answer, all things are lawful for me. But Paul shows there are more important questions to ask than simply, what is lawful for me? And one of those is, what is profitable for me? All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. Not all things are profitable. In their extreme liberty... They, the, the pleasures that they had, their pleasures began taking liberties with them. And those pleasures that they were pursuing with eagerness, those things began to have mastery over them. They were becoming mastered by their pleasures, by their indulgence in their pleasures. And so two important principles to keep in mind when thinking about our liberties in Christ. Christ has freed us. He has. We are free in Christ. But we must keep in mind when thinking about our freedom in Christ, when thinking about our liberties, two things. First, the Christian must not simply ask what is lawful, but what, what is profitable We don't simply ask, what am I now allowed to do? We ask, what is helpful for me? What will build me up in the faith? What will strengthen me and nourish me? What will be good for the body of Christ? What will be good for my brothers and sisters? What is profitable? A man who is at the beach relaxing when a terrible storm comes about, a hurricane-forced winds, doesn't simply ask, am I allowed to swim at this time? He asks, Will it be helpful for me to swim? Will it be profitable for me to swim at this moment in time? We must ask these questions. But second, another important principle to keep in mind when thinking about our liberties is this. The Christian must beware of becoming mastered by his pleasures. Must beware of becoming mastered by his pleasures. For as long as you drop little food pellets In the goldfish bowl, he will keep swimming up to the top and gobbling them up. He'll keep going and keep going. Some will keep going until they die because they have engorged themselves with food. They they can't stop. This, This food has become master over them. They can do nothing else but continue to eat. And we must not be mastered by our pleasures. The Lord must be our master. 
All the gifts that we receive from Him to enjoy must be enjoyed as we worship Him, as we think about Him as the good giver of all things. But the Corinthians said, what's the big deal? They would say, the body is made for pleasure, and pleasure is made for the body. Or as here they say, food is made for the stomach, and stomach is for the food. This is another slogan, another quote from the Corinthians. If the body is made for pleasure, and pleasure is made for the body, then we ought to indulge as much as possible. It will all be destroyed anyway, they say. So why not go ahead and indulge? The body is unimportant. So let's pursue our pleasure. It sounds a lot like today, doesn't it? What what should you do with your life? Well, you should pursue your pleasures. You should pursue what makes you happy, what fulfills you, whatever that is. Don't let anybody put any rules or authority over you. You go and pursue your own desires. But The Scripture teaches that even God's good gifts, even good gifts which were meant for our pleasure, have certain boundaries. Enjoy food and drink, but not to excess and gluttony. Enjoy sex, but within the confines of marriage as God has ordered it. Enjoy God's good gifts, but enjoy them as creatures who have been made for God and not for these gifts. We were made by the Lord and for the Lord. We weren't made for pleasure. We were made for God. And further, it won't all simply be destroyed, as Paul says here. Rather, our bodies will be raised up just like the Lord's. We will experience a physical resurrection. It will be a glorified body, and yet it still will be a physical existence. Therefore, the Lord made us for himself in the here and in the future. In the here and now and in the age to come. We will still be made for God's glory in our resurrected body. Our purpose is to glorify him both now and at the resurrection. So this is how we were made. Our purpose is vitally connected to our creation. To what we were made for. Things are made for certain reasons. For certain purposes. To use things in ways contrary to the purpose for which they were made. Harms ourselves and it harms others. So a man ignores the warning label on his ladder to his own peril. This is not a step it says. And to step on that brings great danger to him. And perhaps those around him as well. A hammer will not say, I no longer wish to hammer. A hammer was made to do what? Hammer. It's in the noun and in the verb. It was created for this purpose. A vessel will not say to its creator, why have you made me this way? I don't want to serve this function. I don't want to serve this purpose. It was made for a certain purpose. And our bodies were made for a certain purpose. They were made for the Lord. We ignore this purpose to our own peril. We will end up living for some other purpose. And we will harm ourselves and others in doing so. And we will fail to bring glory to the Lord. You were made body and soul for the glory of God. 
It will not do to serve any other purpose in this life. It will not do to pursue your own purposes, your own pleasures, your own desires. You will fail and it will destroy your life. We were made for God's glory. This applies to both believers and unbelievers. If you are an unbeliever, you were made for God's glory. And until you realize that, nothing will make sense in this life. You were made for him. You find your belonging in him. Therefore, Paul says, we ought to behave in accordance with who we have created to be. Behave, live in accordance with this designed purpose for our lives. Live for God's glory. The second truth about our bodies is the bodies of believers are members of Christ. So now we're transitioning here from uh, the bodies of unbelievers and believers. They were made for God's glory to what it applies only to believers. The bodies of believers are members of Christ. Paul uses these questions uh, throughout this section. <clears throat> he says in verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? And he's using these questions because they do know. He's not really asking them. He's, he's basically saying, you know this already. You should know this. This is basic, fundamental truth. You know this. And really, it, may, it calls me to remember most of the things I need to hear on a regular basis, week in and week out from my brothers and sisters in Christ, are things I already know. That's true of you too. The things that we need to hear on a regular basis are things we, we already know. Peter wrote to believers and said, I know you already know these things, but I found it necessary to repeat these things to you. So Paul is reiterating what the Corinthians already know to be true, but they haven't embraced it in the way that they're living. He gives this image of the body. You, don't you know that you are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never! Exclamation point. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one with her? For it, as it is written, the two shall become one flesh. So Paul's, Paul's point here, this image of verse 15, is that we, do you not know that your bodies are members, are body parts, are limbs and organs of Christ. You are a part of the body of Christ. And we are individual members of that body. So note here too that Paul is insisting we are more than just our spirits. We are spirits and body. This is a part, an essential part of who we are. We are body and soul. This is how God has created us for his glory. In the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2, God made man for his glory how did he make him? Body and soul. And then he declared, it is good. You are members. Your bodies, Paul says, are members of Christ. Now there's a tendency for us sometimes to gloss over certain parts of Scripture. And familiarity sometimes causes us to, to see what we should be see or be shocked at what we should be shocked at. And this is, I think, an example of this. Uh, the image that Paul gives here is shocking. It is uh, repulsive. Do you notice the image here? 
Would you take the body parts of Christ and unite them to a prostitute? May it never be. Never. You wouldn't even think about something like that. It is unthinkable. It is repulsive to even think about the question that he asks, this image that he gives. And this is the kind of revulsion they should have had to these words of Paul. Because this is exactly what they were doing in their own lives. This is exactly what they were doing when they visited the temple prostitutes in their culture. There is a union formed between two people. And you are members of Christ. Think about this and how it applies to our own lives. And we are, we are fully aware that Jesus is always with us. That we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, as we'll see in just a moment as Paul continues on. But consider this, this illustration that Paul uses. Jesus is with you in His Spirit at all times and in all places, wherever you go. And that means that, that Jesus is there with us when we are guilty of sin. When we are committing sins uh, of a sexual nature, of, of an emotional na- nature, of anger against our brothers and sisters, of other forms of sin, sins of speech, Jesus is with us. Imagine, imagine that, though. If Jesus were, were physically with you wherever you went and, and saw every sin that you ever committed, well, he does see every sin that you commit. But wouldn't there be some sort of revulsion to sin if Jesus were physically present with us when we were tempted to do this or that? Well, Paul's illustration is not only that Jesus is with you as you're committing sin, but there is some sort of sense. He wants to bring this revulsion out that almost, would you make Jesus participate in that sin with you? Would you cause him to participate in that gossip? In slandering other people? Would you cause him to participate with you in bitter anger against other people? It would be unthinkable. Instead, they should recognize their their union with the Lord. One who joins himself to Christ is one spirit with him. Well, how is this union formed with Christ? It is through repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ. As a person comes to an awareness and a conviction of his sin and changes his mind about what sin is and sees it as, as the ugly thing which it is as, and sees it as rebellion against God, he turns away from it, he changes his mind about sin and he clings in faith to Jesus Christ is the only one who can save him. The only one who can rescue him. And this is how we are united to Christ. Therefore, Paul is, is reminding them, you are united with Christ through faith. How dare you join yourself to anyone or anything else? Especially how dare you join yourselves to temple prostitutes. You are members of the body of Christ. Therefore, What does Paul command the Corinthians to do? What is the the natural response to understanding this? Flee immorality. Run away from it. Flee 
sexual immorality. A man who is caught in the woods in the midst of a forest fire doesn't just hang around and think everything will be okay. What does he do? He finds an exit and he runs. If you find yourself in a house engulfed in flames, what do you do? You find an exit, you find a way to get out, and you get out as soon as you possibly can. You run away. Even brute animals know to run away when danger is at hand. Antelopes run away from a lion that jumps out from behind the bushes. They run as quickly as possible. Joseph in the Old Testament gives us a good example. When Potiphar's wife was trying to draw him into temptation. What does he do? Just hang out and say, no, I'll, I'll resist that and I'll just hang around. He, he actually runs. He flees temptation. He flees sexual immorality. Paul says, you need to flee this. So children and teenagers, you may find yourselves in areas of temptation, ways where your friends, your peers are trying to lead you astray. And you might think it's harmless, like uh, I won't really participate. I'll just go along with them and I won't I won't do anything sinful. But you're exposing yourself to that temptation more and more. And it it would look weird if I just kind of got out of this. It would look weird if I just said I need to leave and, and left abruptly. You need to flee. There are times in your life, in temptation, you don't need to try to be the brave person and withstand it. You need to flee temptation. I think of Proverbs, especially some of the first parts of Proverbs, where um, the father is saying to his son, listen to my instruction, heed the words that I'm saying from you. Turn away from the wicked woman, from the prostitute. Turn away from those temptations. Hear my instruction. There's that refrain in the Proverbs. Listen. Be attentive to the words of wisdom. There's this image in Proverbs of listening to the lady wisdom and ignoring lady folly. They are competing for our attention and we must heed our Father's instruction. We must heed His words of wisdom. Your members, brothers and sisters... Your bodies, brothers and sisters, are members of Christ. Therefore, flee immorality. Finally, the third truth about our bodies. The bodies of believers are temples of the Holy Spirit. The bodies of believers are temples of the Holy Spirit. Another question, do you not know? Don't you know this? That your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. This is basic Christianity, Corinthians. You should know this. And previously he had been speaking of uh, the church as the body of Christ, as the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit dwells within us, brothers and sisters, as The church, us plural, as the church. But he also is making the point here that the Holy Spirit indwells each one of us individually and as such is a our our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. We are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And this, of course, is a partial fulfillment of promises throughout Scripture of God making his dwelling with mankind. 
And so in the Old Testament, he came down and made his dwelling in tabernacles and in temples to give manifestation of his presence. But it it was pointing to something further down the line in the future. When Jesus himself, when the Son of God took on flesh and walked among us, God himself came down and made his dwelling with us in the person of Jesus Christ. But there's still a further fulfillment. When Jesus left, he said, uh, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will, my Father will send the Holy Spirit who will be with you and guide you in my teachings. And now those who come to faith in Jesus are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. God himself making his home in us. This is amazing. And yet there is even still further fulfillment which we are awaiting when we will be in the new heavens and in the new earth, the kingdom of God, and we will be with God forever. The Holy Spirit is a gift from God which, whom indwells you. You have this gift from God, he says. And this, this gift, so, so notice the grace aspect of this gift of God. It is something not that you have done, something not, you have not earned this earned a spot to be a dwelling place of the Spirit of God. This is given to you by grace. John chapter 3, the Spirit blows wherever He wills. He regenerates as the, the Scripture is proclaimed, as Jesus Christ crucified for sinners is proclaimed. The Spirit is there working, changing hearts, giving you a new heart. Paul says you are not your own. Again, your body doesn't exist for pleasure. It exists for God. You don't exist for yourself. You don't belong to you. You, brothers and sisters, belong to God. If, you're a, uh, if you are a Christian, if you're a believer, you are twice God's. He has made you His own in creation, and He has made you His own in redemption. This is why you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. You have been bought with a price. We have been purchased out of slavery. Well, what is that price that has been paid for our freedom? It is none other than the perfect life of Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross for sinners, the resurrection from the dead. This is the gift that God gave to buy you out of your slavery of sin, when you were helpless, when you were in rebellion against God, when you were enemies of God, God sent His own Son to die for your sins, to redeem you, to purchase you. No greater price could have been given than God Himself giving Himself for you. You've been purchased out of slavery. And this means freedom. It means liberty. And yet, the Corinthians probably would have rejoiced at this point. Yes, we are free. Remember, they are using their freedom for license. We are free in Christ. He has bought us out of slavery. But they should remember that servants purchased from one master do not simply become their own masters. Rather, they become servants of the one who purchased them. Therefore, Paul says, glorify God in your bodies. This is the response to these truths about our bodies. 
glorify God in your bodies. Well, how? How do we glorify God in our bodies? As I, as I thought about this, I thought of several implications. What this means for us, that we are made body and soul for the glory of God, that we, our bodies are members of Christ, that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. And the first implication that came to mind is this. Give thanks to God for your bodies. We can, we can be tempted to think about ourselves only in spiritual terms, that we're simply... Um, spirits, but not bodies. But you are not truly who you are without your body. This is why at the end, when we die and our spirits go to be with the Lord, that will not yet be the full realization of our salvation. That will come when Jesus returns and our bodies and our souls reunite and we will be with Him forever. We will have glorified bodies and we will be back to who we really were meant to be. Amen. Give thanks to God for your body. And you say, well, I don't like my body that much. But it is a gift from God. Think about all the glorious things you experience with your body. Good food and drink. You'll walk outside and feel the sunshine on your face. And it is wonderful. Consider the goodness of the body. You think, well, we'll have glorified bodies. So all these parts of, of me that I don't like, well, maybe they'll be changed. And I was thinking about that. And I was thinking, Jim, you need to give thanks to God for your nose. I think it's kind of a big nose. And I wonder if in heaven we'll have a, a, a right proportion nose and I'm, I'm thinking I don't want a right proportion nose I want this nose this is my nose this is my body which been has been given to me from God to give him glory in who I am give thanks to God for your bodies and by the way give thanks to God for other people's bodies and how God has made them for his glory so this is one area where color blindness falls short. We've talked about this before. And we might want to say, well, well, I'm just colorblind. I don't see different colors or cultures or anything like that. But being colorblind in this sense fails to give glory to God for his great and diverse and wonderful creation. It is also to ignore an aspect of who God has made that person to be for his glory. It ignores an essential part of who that person is. Who would walk among a field of beautiful, various flowers and say, I only see flowers here? No, you would say, I, I see the blues and the oranges and the reds and the greens. It is all beautiful and it is for the glory of God. Give thanks to God for your bodies. Second, take care of your bodies. Take care of your bodies. It has been given to us for the glory of God. And one of the things that this means, one of the ways you will bring glory to God is by caring for what he has given you, treating it well. And along with that, this is why we, we aren't content to only preach the gospel. We do that. We do that. We recognize this is preeminent. We want to see people saved. And we know the way that it's done is by preaching the gospel, preaching Jesus Christ crucified for sinners so that they will be saved and have eternal life. But this is also why we care for other people in their physical needs. We care for our own bodies and we care for other 
people's bodies because it matters. And so we want to relieve hunger. We want to relieve, insofar as possible, poverty. We want to meet the needs of other people because their bodies matter. They were made for the glory of God. The third implication is we should live for the glory of God. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your soul, with everything that you are, and that includes our bodies. So what does this mean? Well, for one, it means the way we worship God. We worship Him not only with our spirits, but also with our bodies. As we were singing this morning, did you think about that? That you are using your body to express your worship to God in singing. You're singing for His glory. And this, by the way, is why it's okay if you want to raise your hand to the Lord and worship Him. It's, it's why it's okay and even good if in your personal prayer times you want to get down on your knees and pray. If you, want to pros- if you want to lay down and pray before Him as many of the Old Testament saints did, this is why this is good because we are made body and soul. There's something that we express in our movements and in our actions that isn't always expressed in our spirits. We worship Him with our voices We worship Him sometimes even with our posture because we are made, all of us, for the glory of God. It also, of course, means your life and behavior should be all about the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whatever you do, whatever you do, live for the glory of God. Since the Holy Spirit dwells in you and you are the temple of God, you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. And notice, finally, that the very basis for his command here is also the empowerment to do it. The very basis for his command to glorify God in your bodies is the empowerment to be able to do it. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. He is producing fruit in you. He is causing you to will and to work for the good pleasure of the Father. The Holy Spirit is producing fruit in you to live for His glory more and more each day, conforming you to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. You were bought with a price, Paul says, therefore glorify God in your bodies. But it works the other way as well. You were bought with a price. And His payment, the payment that Jesus paid for your sins, justifies you. So God declares you are now righteous in my sight as as if you have kept all the commands of the law. But not only does it justify, it also sanctifies and it guarantees your sanctification. Jesus purchased your justification. He purchased your adoption into God's family. He purchased your sanctification and he he has purchased your glorification. It is as good as done. You can count on it. And this is why we can live for the glory of God, because Jesus bought us by his blood. Let us pray together.